Here we go. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio Show. Let's make life happen together with authors, scientists, researchers, both inside the box and outside the box of understanding so that you can live a life full of your success, curiosity, enjoyment, happiness, and richness of life in every respect. Let's go beyond our limits and let's help others go beyond their limits as well. Welcome. I'm going to tell you all to brace your hearts because your hearts are going to be so deeply touched by what we talk about today with Dr. Bertie Siegel and author Charlie Siegel. Yes, they're related. And I want to welcome both of them here because they're going to take us through a walk in their book, When You Realize How Perfect Everything Is. I have to say I was skeptical because I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a everything is perfect kind of gal. <laughs> but when I read this, I was so moved, and I welcome you, Bernie Siegel. I welcome you, Charlie Siegel, to this conversation. I hope you are both well, and where do we get started? Thanks for having us. Get... <laughs> All my life's a circle, sunrise and sundown. The moon rolls through the nighttime while the, I forgot, something goes around. All my life's a circle. I can't tell you why. Seasons spinning round again, years keep rolling by. That's the song. I forgot the name of the fellow who wrote it. But it's like mm. a poem. I have it up on the wall in my kitchen. Mm. And uh, I'd say in many ways our book is like that, when you realize how perfect everything is. Um, mm. Yeah, because the subtitle that Charlie put in, A Conversation About Life Between Grandfather and Grandson. Mm. You know, it's mm. a circle, up and back. And, and that's how we evolved into this. I was mentioning to you before we went on that I was starting to write another book which has been written called No Endings, Only Beginnings. And it's my sharing, my experience of life in chapters. It's not in poems. But I sought out Charlie because he is, <coughs> to me, an amazing gentleman at his age. Um yes in terms of his sensitivity, exposure to life and nature, the poetry. So we started exchanging poetry and spiritual things, and he helped me evolve my book. And Mm -hmm. then when you realize how perfect everything is, just sort of happened because we came together and started sharing our poetry. And I really feel, because it's something you had said, Carol, about how real the poetry felt, um, Very. You know, when people say to me, it doesn't rhyme, I said, that's not what it's about, you mm-hmm. know. It's about what I'm feeling, what's inside of me that I needed to get out to help mm-hmm. me to heal and not bury mm-hmm. all this. So when we turn, in a sense, the pain into creativity, um, yeah, then it becomes a source of wisdom for others and teaches others and helps mm-hmm. us. Because I love rereading what I've written. And and mm-hmm. that's not about ego, but it's about, oh, that's good, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like somebody else wrote it, and I'm, I re-enlighten myself um, each time by doing that. And one more compliment for Charlie. I thought that mm-hmm. the thing that amazed me was at his age, because I think it took me twice as long to be able to bring all this forth and for him to do it by the time he's almost 30, it just amazed me how 
wise he is. I'm sure he's had a past life where uh, he was something special uh, in guiding people in the world, and and that that's in him, and I took advantage of it. Well, Charlie, I think you have been introduced by by Grandpa Bernie Siegel. So, Charlie, yeah. uh, welcome to the program. I've never talked to you before. I've never written read any of your book, your your materials before. I know you have another book that's been written. Uh, tell us about who you are that goes into those photographs that are. I just couldn't stop looking at them. They were transcendent. And, oh, and then links you to Bernie, your grandfather, Bernie Siegel, in a, in a heart-to-heart, soul-to-soul, age-difference of perspective. Yeah, it's, it's been great working with him. And, and like he said, the book just naturally came from our working together. Um, my photography, is, it illustrates our book, and, and it's a, the cover photo also. Um, I do nature and wildlife photography um, with the purpose of wanting to, to help people to connect with nature and, and heal and see that there's so much beauty around us that sometimes we, we don't all get to notice. So to be able to put it in a picture and have it right there with you, it, it's a good way to see that um, we're connected with all of that. Uh, my mom started a, a store in the class center called Wisdom of the Ages in Connecticut when I was three. Um, and we run it together now. It's going on 23 years together. Um, so we, we run that together now. And, like, she teaches meditation classes and spiritual development classes. And we do a lot of stuff, like, to help keep people calm and, and find spirituality in their life. So I've grown up in that kind of environment. I used to, like, um, do homework or build Legos or color or anything behind her teaching these advanced classes. Um, so when I was, like, 11 or so, I started sitting in them and then, uh, with some of them, I hope to teach them now. So um, that's just been part of everyday life, and and hearing people with what they're going through, helping people, and and keeping a spiritual outlook on things. Um, mm-hmm. So like coming out of high school, kind of time, I started writing more and finding like writing is really what I want to do, uh, along with photography. So mm-hmm. um, as a lot of times, if I finish, as I finish a like a poem or or anything, I'll email it to Grandpa Bernie. So it, it's been uh, like a life of sharing our, our work back and forth with each other and, and seeing um, we had both written a lot of different things, but when we compared them, there's so much similarity between our writing that we didn't know we were writing the same type of stuff years apart. Um, so mm-hmm. it to come together and the book just kind of happened. You know, what a beautiful experience to share your deeper thoughts in a poetic way with another person you can hear the music of your words. And I also think that it's really profound that after I finished reading this book, uh, I, I, was, I was floored, I was still. And it recalls to me the phrase, be still, I know that I'm God. And I'm wondering if we can start with that part of your book where you humorously call out God and connect and God is, all sorts of different, very profound experiences to the both of you. And who wants to take this question of who is God and why is that relevant to everything is perfect? Well, where what pages would our poem on <laughs> for that? Oh, yeah, Hello God, here, that whole Finding God. Let me turn to that. 
because I think that, you know, for many of us, many people are afraid to search or are so stuck with things that they've been told that they don't free their mind up. I mean, this may sound nuts, but I don't mind people thinking I'm crazy, but I talk to God every single morning. And, and you know, it, it's mostly when I'm taking a walk, again, out in nature. Uh, yes, the dog's along with me, but I talk to God. And I've noticed that evolves and helps me evolve because I don't say, hey, God, I got a problem. This is what I need you to do. I, I'm past that because I feel like if that's all I do, I'm a problem to God. But what I'm trying to do is what God would do if God were in my body. So mm-hmm. I'm always saying that I, I clean up the street, removing dead branches, fix mailboxes, talk to neighbors. I'm trying to do something. And then it the, it becomes a gift. And I know God is there. And And so, again, it's knowing God is there, then the job is to find it. And one of the things I think you have to do, and I mean this sincerely, is to quiet your mind. Because, again, when you're saying, oh, I'm having a horrible day, where the hell is God? I mean, I need help. No, you're not going to connect. But when you can quiet your mind and ask what is God teaching me or showing me, um, then wonderful things happen. Now, I have two two that, let me say, the one is called Hello God that I wrote. I am told prayer, meditation, and service will bring me into direct relationship with God. Heavy stuff doesn't feel poetic. Maybe I'll just talk to God. Tevye did it. Lily Tomlin says that's called prayer. Of course, she also says if God talks to you, it's called schizophrenia. (laughs) I guess I'm crazy then, because God and I are buddies and on talking terms. We call on each other whenever we need a friend to talk to. God scares a lot of people. They can't listen because they want something. I have everything. So God isn't afraid to call on me and me on him. And I will also say, because I don't mind letting people know that I might be psychotic, but I have (laughs) heard voices many times in my life that have helped my life. Sometimes it's a question from God, and sometimes it's something I I should do. You know, it'll tell me to go here, park there, um, ask this question, or ask me a question. I mean, the most fun I had, literally, was one morning. I was singing with the wrong lyrics, but I didn't know it. The song is, I am weak, but thou art strong. You know, keep me, Jesus, from all wrong. I was singing, I am strong, but thou art weak. And I didn't know I was singing it wrong. And I heard a voice say, you have the lyrics wrong. And I stopped and listened to myself and thought, oh, my. But then the voice said, but maybe I've done such a good job with you that it's okay for you to sing that way. <laughs> Those <laughs> words. I, 
and, and I, I'm not making that up, you know. Mm-hmm. I hear it, and mm-hmm. that's the gift. So I'd mm-hmm. say, where is God? Yeah, right there for all of us when mm-hmm. we can quiet our minds and hear God talking to us. I remember two things about this book along this line. First is when the caterpillar says, where are you? And the butterfly within says, I'm here. And the man says, where are you? Or the person says, where are you? And the soul says, I'm here. And the other one is the bench story about the boy. Who wants to tell or read that one? Um, yeah, I can talk well, about it. Uh, yeah, that's both, both right. Go ahead, are, Charlie. Uh, both of those are my pieces. Um, so mm-hmm. we wanted to put the short story in uh, at the end of it. That um, I've written a bunch of different short stories, and when we were talking with our publisher editor for putting the book together, um, we both agreed that the, the bench story would really fit in well. Um, it's beautiful. And it, it walks through the idea of, uh, like, what if you made a little kid on a bench that's talking to God, and it's bringing can, can in you read more it? Can a, you read it? Can you yeah. read it to us? Okay. Yeah. It's just so perfectly sculptured and such a a moving progression. So while they're getting that there, <laughs> you'll be moved. Yep, listeners, prepare yourself. Okay. It says, I saw him sitting alone on the bench the first time we met. He was eating an ice cream cone, chatting away to himself, drips of melted ice cream falling squarely on his lap. He didn't seem to mind. I went up to him asking, who are you talking to, son? Without a pause, he looked up and met my eyes. I'm talking to God, sir. His answer surprised me, and now it was my turn to give pause where he hadn't. Seeing my bewildered gaze, he went back to licking his ice cream cone and said, you can sit with him, too, if you want. I sat down in the space beside the boy and whispered, thank you. My mind was racing too much to speak. What an interesting child. He went on eating as if nothing was happening. Well, he suddenly broke the silence. Are you going to talk to him or not? Dad, I'm even more shocked than before. I knew he could tell. Sighing, he took my hand and closed his little eyes. Hey, God, he said in a very matter-of-fact tone, this is my new friend and he wants to talk to you. Is that okay? There was a moment of pause. I looked about myself. Nothing changed. The skies did not open up. The land did not give way. A gentle breeze blew, and the mysterious little child opened his eyes. He said to me, yeah, that's okay. You can talk quiet because you're new. And he went back to eating his ice cream. I thanked him for talking with me and left, unsure of how I should have handled the situation. It was like nothing I had ever experienced before. The thought kept nagging at me night and day, his saying that I could talk to him quietly. In the night, the thought came to me, and I finally broke through. God, I said, whispering even my own even in my own mind. Please help me, my friend. I felt like the world became a million times lighter. The next day, the boy was sitting there again, and the day after, and the day after, I continued to sit with this peculiar boy for ten minutes or so each day before going on my way. His parents must buy him an ice cream every day, I thought. We discussed talking with God a little differently each time. His childish purity was like nothing I had seen, It was refreshing, and I found myself thinking as he did when I went home at night. Everything in my life became better because of these short conversations with the boy. And one day when I stood up from the bench, an old man came to my side. 
He was bent and quiet with his age, and I leaned in to hear. Who are you talking to, son, he said. That boy over there. I pointed over my shoulder to the bench. Where? I don't see a boy. I turned. There was no one there. No ice cream, no boy, no chatting off into the afternoon air. An empty bench sat quietly in the sun. I guess I was talking to God, I said, and with a nod I went on my way. Since then I've never seen the boy again, or maybe I have every day when I sit on the bench and talk to God. Oh, thank you so much, Charlie, for writing that, (laughs) for reading that. And let let me Um, add, because I don't know if it's in the book, but... I can remember one day being out, and this morning, too, um, meeting a child. And then I wrote a, a poem that says, I didn't write a poem today. Well, he, oh, no, that's a different one. I thought I had found it in the book. But, um, you know, I wrote a poem that I didn't write a poem today. I met one. And because it was just this beautiful child, and one of our neighbor's mm-hmm. children this morning was in the driveway, and he started talking to me and commenting about me, and it, it was just so beautiful to have a few minutes with him. I have to tell mm-hmm. his parents that they got something special there, because mm-hmm. there were things he observed about me that he had questions about. Uh, you know, it's not like this five, six, or seven-year-old. Uh, it's just his perception of me and the world. It was just so beautiful. So I think all of us run into poems every day. The truth is that we don't write them down. But I think when you feel it inside of you, that's why I know I had to get it out on paper. I just couldn't keep it all stored up inside and uh, not express it. And it wasn't about somebody else reading it. it. It was about my creating it and being able to reread it and be a gift to myself. Like you were speaking to yourself wisdom that would unfold in the future. And it also reminds me of, and I don't know which one of you wrote it about meeting someone and feeling like you needed to get their autograph and what a beautiful tribute to humankind as a reflection of divinity. Are you all ready to talk about pain because I think that juxtaposed to God, uh, maybe I shouldn't put it in the opposite camp, is the human experience of pain. And Bernie, as I was saying to you before the program, I've read every one of your books and talked to you a number of times on this program. And I never had gotten the sense that you were a man of this many varied colors of emotions, including deep and d- deeper pain. Um, perhaps I got a sense of that when your wife passed. But this book drove it home to me that you are this profound, multi, multi-emotional, multi-layered person, not just someone who's happy, not just someone who's optimistic, which has always been the gift you have given to me and others, but someone who really understands what it's like to feel pain. And Charlie, in your work as well, I got that sense of, these two people don't run away from this experience. So now let's talk about pain. Who wants to take well, pain? Well, let me, let me say my experience. The thing that pops into my head was that over and over again, starting with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, when I went to workshops, to deal with my pain. Because being a surgeon, 
yes, it, it's lovely, it's wonderful, you can help people, but what about the people you can't help or who have complications of the things you do? And I, Well, I was just talking about children. I, I specialized in pediatric surgery. And imagine what it's like to have all these children with genetic problems, congenital defects, uh, cancer. You, you begin to question God. What are you doing, you know, making all these kids suffer? So that's part of what led me to go in that direction, you know, of the poetry and other things. But what Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said to me, and I never forget that sentence, Borni, she had a Swiss accent, Borni. What are you covering up? And I said, what are you talking about? She said, you drew a picture for me, and you used a white crayon on a white page. It's already white. You added a layer. What are you covering up? And I can mention, Charlie, if we have another book, you got to put my portrait in it. We should have done yeah. that. But I painted a portrait of myself and you don't know it's me because it's in surgical outfit. Okay? Can you imagine painting a portrait and hiding yourself? Yeah. The cap, mask, yeah. and gown. And yeah. so I realized how much Elizabeth said was so true. What are you covering up? All my emotions, all my feelings. And that's part of where all the poetry came from and my keeping journals. I read them to myself over and over again because... I knew I've got to get this out. And my wife helped me too because one day I forgot to hide my journal and she told me there's nothing funny in my journal. It's all these troubles, all these problems. And I said, my life isn't funny. What are you talking about? So you talk about pain. People are in pain. They say, what do you mean? What's happy? How can I be happy? I'm in pain. But then my wife told me stories of funny things and good things I told her and the kids that had happened to me that day. But what blew my mind is it never got in the journal. I never wrote something in the journal that would make me laugh if I read it again. It was the pain that was always in there. And I think that's the part that people need to wake up to. And also this I've learned. See, turn it into words. What is the pain like? One woman said to me, it's like pressure. And I said, what's the pressure in your life? And boy, her eyes lit up. And instead of being admitted to the hospital in pain, she went home to straighten out her life. And the pain was gone when she walked out of the emergency room because she realized where the pain was coming from. So I'm always doing that with myself. How would you describe your pain? How would you describe your symptoms, your problems? And then come up with the words and say, what else in my life fits those words? And it's incredible. I mean, as doctors, we're not taught to what Jung said. See, the diagnosis helps the doctor, but it doesn't help the patient. For there, the key thing is the story. And somehow... Without Jung's help, I mean, I started reading Jung and then was thrilled to find that he was saying what I was learning. So if doctors learned to say to the patient, what's going on in your life? What's your story? Oh, boy, can you help them? See, when somebody says failure, 
I said, how does that fit your life? She said, my parents committed suicide when I was a child. I must have been a failure as a child. And why did she say the word? Because she said, that's what cancer means to me. My body's failed me. I said, no, but what does failure mean for your life? And boom. See, then I've helped heal her life. And I have to add, as from talking to God, that a perfect world, if there was, well, I mean, we need pain. People have to understand that. I mean, you may not like to have fear and pain, but they're to protect you. They're not to make it a, a terrible life. So if something, you know, if you put your hand on a hot stove, ow, you get it off there. You don't lean there and burn your fingers away. <laughs> so the pain protects you. Uh, or the fear of some wild animal that could, you know, bite you or attack you. So you learn to run fast and get out of there. But living in pain and fear of things that aren't really a threat, are a threat mentally, that's what destroys you. And I'd say again, when you write a poem about it, it turns the negative stuff into creativity. And I've got to give you a poem from somebody else, a patient of mine. She compared pregnancy to chemotherapy and radiation. Oh, dear. See, nine months seems like a long time. I watch my body change. Tired, I sit staring out at life. I live within my mind. Books and music transport me beyond my body. Nine months pass. I give birth to my child. All the discomfort and pain is now justified. Twelve months, chemotherapy and radiation. See, the same poem ends with, Twelve months pass, I give birth to myself. All the discomfort and pain is now justified. Mm-hmm. So I would say to people, use the pain as a labor pain and learn from it and give birth to yourself. Beautiful. Perhaps, Bernie, that's one reason why I don't see you as a person who knows pain because you're always looking at the positive side. Well, maybe not the positive side, but the beneficial side. And yet here it is, these poems, you can just resonate with the Aiken side of what it's like to be Fragile and human. Well, Charlie, what about you? What's pain like for you? Part of the the title choice of our book comes around to that topic, that when you realize how perfect everything is, you'll tilt your head back and laugh at the sky, is is an anonymous quote I came across years ago that really connected with me. Um, And as I was going through our work and getting it all lined up for the book, I found that uh, kind of like the summarizing message of a lot of our work comes to that quote that um, on the cover of our book, we have one of my photographs of the hawk soaring over mountains and looking across the landscape. And it's that idea that if you can um, like bring your perspective up and look over your own life, like that hawk is looking over the mountains, um, you can see that those experiences that were painful or or challenging, um, they helped you become you. Um, They're like that that breaking point to figure yourself out or to to find a new, stronger part of yourself or learn a new lesson where you wouldn't be the same you in a lot of good ways if you hadn't gone through the challenging times. Um, So like like he was talking about, those pieces are there for a reason in your life. Like you need those in some way. Um, Sometimes that's what's perfect about life, to to help to create the the best you that you can be. but then we go through different parts in our in our book and and you know in, in our talks in life that uh, especially in our emotions chapter uh, the beginning of it is starting to talk more about dealing with the challenging emotions and um, how you work through them 
Um, I grew up with my mom teaching people how to apple things, acknowledge, accept, process, and let it go. And then it's, it's a, like a four-stage process to work through emotions that you have and, and how to handle them. Um, so my, my writing oftentimes will pass along things that I've learned along the way in life, uh, but in different uh, like different modalities of describing them. And sometimes the stories and things just kind of come to me and want to be shared with people. Um, but I have two pieces in the emotions chapter that uh, one of them is even stone is worn away and one of them is in talks with the sky that talk about dealing with those more challenging emotions. Um, but then we see in that same chapter, we, we kind of roll on to talking about peace and focusing on the rainbow when there's a storm around you and you know, seeing that emotions and things, it, it's like a cycle almost. And, and you have this sort of balance in life that, that makes the whole picture. Uh, I can read one of my pieces there if you want. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's the, I'll read In Talks with the Sky from our emotions chapter. It's depth of the hollow in me that the tears try to fill. It racks me with sobs until I can give no more and then asks of me, is that all you have to give? The tears would never end if they could go on forever. And sometimes I fear that the riverbed of my heart will dry up before they do. Sadness itself shakes me and tells me to never let it go, and I say I must let it go, but how? And that is when the rain holds out its hand to comfort my sweating brow. The sky leans down and says unto me, It is I who cry, yet I have no tears. It is in the rain that I relinquish the pain, that I bring peace and health to the people of the land. Do not let this pain bring you down. This sadness twists you round and round. Come with me and see with wondrous eyes the truth of the matter as I see it. That rain is here to cleanse the pain, not to bury you deeper in its watery depths. Your tears are the same, my dear. It's only bigger from up here. So don't fret and don't let the worries get to you. My rainstorms will come and wash clean the dust of tomorrow. And so it is with your tears that each falling drop may release what is no longer of need and open up your heart to show to the others all that they'll need to succeed. Your heart is as the sky, my dear, and we want to let, and we want it to let go of its pain so we can see the stars. And you have to be kind of brave, don't you, to feel pain, don't you? And when you say, the heart, I'm afraid my tears will run out before, and my heart will run dry. It's like I had to pause and read that so many times, that idea that will my heart ever become crusty and hardened because I don't want to feel the pain and I felt like I had to take a vote at that moment in reading that chat part of the, that, that poem like no I don't want my heart to be hardened I don't want it to dry up so if that means my tears have to continue then I guess that's so be it I hear someone yeah. wanting to pipe in you know when I use the word covering up it's just what you were saying you know you build that crust around it to protect yourself but that hurts you I mean, you mentioned my wife died. It's a little over two years. The one organ in my body that went a little nuts after she died was my heart. And when I say it went nuts, I mean, I didn't have a heart attack. I had an irregular rhythm of my heart. It's like my focus of love was disturbed and went out of, out of rhythm. You know, it couldn't write poems anymore because of what happened. Now it's back to normal, but mm -hmm. I thought really with my life and mind-body stuff that I'm doing, 
I thought it was fascinating. I didn't get upset about having a problem with my heart. I thought, I said to everybody, it's so appropriate. The person mm-hmm. I love dies. What organ in my body do you think is going to react? So, but it, again, it's more likely to heal if I write a poem about it and bring it forth and bring it out rather than hide all my tears and pain and everything else. So my wife is with me, not physically, but, you know, in love and in spirit, uh, the amazing things that have happened. Uh, I'm not going to take the time to describe all kinds of mystical things, but I know she's keeping an eye on me. And I would say that to people too. Don't cover yourself up. Don't build the wall around yourself. Stay open, and you'll be amazed at the things that happen. Because while Charlie was talking about the next chapter, I had opened the book to a poem called A Poem in that chapter. And let me just read this, because I think it, it says what I was trying to explain. I didn't have time for a poem this morning. My soul will dry up like the fall leaves. I must water my soul and nourish my spirit. Without nourishment, I cannot survive. Give me a poem. Bathe me in the divine. I want to live. Feed my soul. Breathe life into my spirit. Give me a poem. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, why do I write something like that? Because I could feel the benefit of bringing forth what was within me. And, uh, and I may, that even goes back to the Bible. If you don't bring forth what is within you, what we don't bring forth will destroy you. If you bring it forth, it will save you. And I think it's it's finding our true selves and our uniqueness. You know, not, in other words, if you become what others impose upon you, then you're not going to write poems. You're going to get violent, depressed, and all kinds of things. But when you've had love... Uh, that doesn't take away all the pain. It makes it hurt less. But when you have the experience of life and the support and the love, as Charlie was describing, doing things with his mom, as I felt with my parents, then you can create out of that. And uh, then you turn the pain into something meaningful and useful. As I say, then it becomes a labor pain. Um, And... Something is produced because of it, and that is so true of so many people. I'm wondering if maybe we put too much emphasis on the word heal. Uh, do you think that maybe perhaps we don't always heal, and that instead we learn mm-hmm. how to navigate the pain and still reside in connection? Yeah, you have a good insight there. Think of all the addictions we have, you know? And all the pain medication we order as physicians or that people get uh, illegally. Um, Yeah, people don't want to feel. They want to be numb. But a big part of that, I have to say, is how you're brought up. I mean, if you're brought up with rejection and and abuse, uh, I can see why people, instead of writing poetry... Uh, or a novel about their life, end up alcohol and drugs to get numb. And it doesn't cure anything, but it just makes them numb. 
uh, and they prefer that to the pain. But again, when you can say, how can I turn this into a labor pain? How can I give birth to a new self? How can I reparent myself? Um, and we can do it for each other. That's why, whether it's through our poems or interacting with another person, we can make them feel worthy. That's part of why we're writing books, to help people. I mean, it's true. <laughs> I laugh all the time how many books get written because each person becomes enlightened. And even in one of my books, I wrote that there's nothing new in this book. It's just my experience because I thought it gets crazy after a while. We're all writing the same book over and over again, trying to help each other. But we each have a unique story. That's true. But the theme is the same so many times because we see the benefit, what we learn from it. Um, you know, it's like what when you talk about love, whether it's in songs or poetry, uh, yeah, we're all saying the same thing. Love heals. And uh, there's nothing wrong with repeating it and resharing it and helping others to learn that and bring it into their life. Perhaps this is a good time to go on to the section of, of relationships. And I realize that this book has seven different sections, destiny and identity. And Let's talk about relationships. Who wants sure. to um, read a poem about that or talk about that aspect of the book? Um, one piece just before we jump onto that, I wanted to add on your last point. You had a really good point about um, about healing, and if you put too much emphasis on that, um, one of the lines from one of my poems is, give up the idea that you are ever unmended. Um, if you think of yourself as this perfect soul that's on a journey here on earth to, to grow and, and learn and advance in different ways and, and oftentimes to help other people, you're part of that web of life pattern. You, you go through things in the process that can be challenging or can be like a heartbreaking kind of feeling, but to give up the idea that you were ever unbended, to learn like you're perfect on the inside as a as a piece of this great light in the universe. And you're going through things, but those experiences aren't you. It's what you make of them and how you grow from them that is the key thing to your progression and your learning as a being. So if you look at it like those those experiences aren't you, it's, it's how you react to it. Um, you know, if you need to take more time to work through the emotions and, and find a, a way to react to it that's healthy, that works for you, that, that's okay. Um, but it's there's a, a Buddhist concept that, like, the emotions and things aren't you. You can look at them like clouds passing over and recognize yourself more truly inside. Um, so I think you had a good point in that. Like, we don't always have to look at, like, we have to become something else and something next and grow to be something different. We can look at ourselves as being on a journey and growing as we react and experience the different things. I got to mention something that, again, so that people can understand no coincidences. When you mentioned relationship, the first two poems, the title by Charlie, Travels, the title by Bernie, Travel. And that's the part that becomes so fascinating when we find many times we've written poems with the same title. Mm. And it's the things that have touched us and 
you know, taught us. And uh, it, uh, anyway, you, so much of it in, in many ways is at an unconscious level, um, you know, and then we become conscious of it and write a wonderful poem about it. So no it is amazing though how, how many things we wrote that separately that are like almost the same message uh, and the same title. Sometimes it's really cool. Yeah, and and I that's why reading. I say people write the same books, you know, <laughs> because they're having the same experiences, and each one is unique, uh, but a common theme that they're having. Yeah. One thing that's magical about poetry, especially the two of yours, is I when when I read a poem, I usually read it out loud, and if not out loud, I, it's in my head out loud. And so I hear my voice take the words and mince them and play with them and work them. And if I don't like the way I did it, I read it over again until I kind of understand the music of the words, the meaning, until my heart is stirred. Now, not all poems stir my heart, but yours, both of yours did. And I read it in my own head with my own sense of me as if I were discovering a me that wanted to talk to myself. And I'm wondering what it was like for each of you to read each other's poems and say, oh, this is my grandson. Oh, this is my grandfather. And also to say, oh, this is me. What was that like for you? It it really kind of blew us both away, I would say, finding that that connection, that similarity in our work, that um, it's a a nice comforting feeling to notice. Like um, on another talk we had once, he was saying that it's like looking in a mirror, like you find somebody that that gets what you're talking about um, in in the same sense of wanting to to help people with it, to share it with people. Um, It's a nice feeling. Yeah, I think that it, it, in a sense, it reinforces the fact that you're speaking the truth when another person writes the same thing. I remember the the anthropologist, Ashley Montague, this just popped into my head. We were both speaking at a big meeting of healthcare professionals, and I loved what he had to say, and he stayed in the audience and listened to me. And when I was done, he came over and said, I want you to know I love your lecture. But he said, it's because I agree with you. And I burst out laughing. But I think that's what it's like Charlie and I saying to each other, I love your poetry. Why? Because I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, what we're sharing is coming from our hearts, but how similar our hearts are and uh, what we're sharing. So it touches me and, uh, you know, and it connects us. And uh, I'd say it sustains us to have that. And and it also, I think, gives you a certain pat on the back, I mean, some support. Because when somebody says, I loved what you wrote, I loved what you had to say, you know that somebody else is feeling it and you've helped them. And I think that's the big gift to us, that if people read this, and say, yes, thank you, you made me laugh, you made me cry. I think that's how you judge a good book or good poems. Mm -hmm. If it makes people laugh and cry, then you've done a good job. Mm -hmm. 
because they're reacting in many ways. Well, you both said a good job because I laughed and I cried. And the hour afterward, I was kind of in a still state of contemplation. It was incredibly moving. And um, I think the importance at this point in time of so many people, myself included, very isolated during this time. And the loneliness is profound. The isolation is profound, even though I'm talking to people almost 24-7, it seems, because the work is very intense. But the isolation is very uh, palpable. And I think to myself, how about those people who inside themselves, because of cruel upbringing or because of horrible circumstances, chronically feel alone, chronically feel their isolation, misunderstood, can't reach out, can't be mirrored, can't be connected to. So when I was reading your section about relationships, I just wondered how we speak to those who don't feel like they are even visible. Well, let, let me, I, I just looked at two poems and I think fits what you say. Um, they're entitled A Beautiful Burden and Leaving a Part of Me Behind. My wife and I traveled together a great deal, uh, but sometimes my wife would say, I can't go on this trip with you because she was part of, you know, would speak and do things. And one is called The Beautiful Burden. If you don't go, I'll have a heavy heart. If you do go, I'll have a hernia. My wife and I often travel together. We are a team sharing fair and foul weather. At times, our travel takes us into the air. I carry all the luggage and order her back to spare. I've heard love makes one's burden lighter, but Bobby's bags would burst if packed any tighter. So I brave the chance of a hernia since she makes my day much brighter. I've learned from traveling alone that the load is really no lighter. For a lonely heart weighs much more than a bag, which can't be packed any tighter. And the title of that poem is A Beautiful Burden. And the other one is Leaving a Part of Me Behind. I kissed myself goodbye this morning. No, I am not self-centered. I am more than me. I and another are one. Our day has been sculpted, our clay has been sculpted for so long that we are an inseparable creation. My other parts enable and disable, but they are me, so I kiss me goodbye. Next time I will be more passionate. I deserve a good kiss. No peck on the cheek. Wait till I get home to the rest of me. It will feel so good to be whole again and in love with my whole self. And and I have to say... I don't know how I sat down and wrote these things. <laughs> but obviously there was such a deep feeling in me. And it's about self, what should I say, self-enlightenment. That as I was learning things and I became aware of them, then it became something that helped me create and live a different life than oh, my wife isn't coming. What's the matter with her? What, you know what I mean? If I keep blaming and finding problems in the family, then what's it doing to me? But when I can find answers and find love and help relationships, uh, then something wonderful happens. So writing poetry or keeping a journal 
As people say, I, I don't know how to write poetry. Fine, write down what you're feeling, because that's how all these began to happen. When you start writing them down, then suddenly it becomes a poem when you look at all the lines you've written. Oh, I absolutely love that one about the luggage and the the, 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 the heavy mm. burden of being alone and that sense of giving a wonderful, delicious kiss to the other you. That, that yeah, <laughs> that's right. If we treated each other with that kind of intimacy and that recognition of, of what we have to give and what we have to receive, it would be a, a beautiful I mean, lo- place to go. Love really unites you. I found that my wife and I, in a sense, were like one person. You know, I, I don't know what kind of word to use, um, but we were one. If we were together, nothing else was needed because we were whole then. And uh, you didn't need other people, entertainment, because you had everything in that room together. And that's why when... I started traveling when she just couldn't keep up with it and had other things to do. That's when I realized how differently it felt. Um, And it was no longer a problem to carry luggage or complain, you know, that it wouldn't fit in the overhead bin and this and that and all kinds of things. Those things stopped having meaning. Uh, And then your love, your emotions, your feelings come in and a lot of healing happens. So, Charlie, you're at a different age, and I don't know who you've lost in your life. What is your perspective on Granddad, who has lost uh, very important people in his life and dared to love so deeply that it would hurt terribly to lose? What's your perspective, Charlie, on Granddad and yourself in that regard? Um, it's it's beautiful to see the connection that he's shared with my grandmother. That that oneness like that. As I was going through um, his work, that that poem that he read about, like the other part of himself, it really um, stuck out from the rest of his work. As like that's a really special piece, and really describes what I would see in their connection a lot of times. The way they care for each other. It's it's meaningful stuff for sure. Um, my my first book that I wrote. Uh, released in 2017 is called Conversations with an Angel, a story of healing through the passageways of grief. Um, And I wanted my first book to be something that would help people going through such a tough time in life as grief and um, help them to work through it in a spiritual kind of sense to see the the connection they can have uh, after a family member or a loved one passes that they're still connected to you in in a different sense. So, um, And to help the person going through grief and working through those tough emotions um, on both ends of it that way. And there's like one of my, one of my poems here in our book is the love forever sustains um, that, that after someone passes, there's still a connection there that you can have. And that love is that bridge that keeps the connection going forever. Um, That, that love is a key thing. Um, And it's like, there's, there's love in a like a universal spiritual kind of sense, and there's love in a relationship personal kind of sense. Um, but almost like when it's boiled down, it's all the same thing. Um, we can find like great ways of connecting with like a love out in nature and and feeling at one with everything, and a love in a relationship sense. And quite a few of my pieces that 
that I wrote in, in our relationship chapter and other pieces I've written that are a relationship kind of thing. Um, I didn't write them about a certain person. I wrote them about a feeling that I had and, and like, like a, an idea of a connection and, and what that connection would would encompass um it just kind of came to me and like we talk about finding the similarity in our work it was interesting i heard an interview once with ed sheeran talking about one of his um really popular love songs that he came out with and he wrote it years ago just writing it he said he was like sitting in an attic writing it not about anybody just about a feeling um and then i was like hey that's how i've written my stuff in in a relationship topic um so, you know, we, we have that love inside of us and we can be connected, loving ourselves, loving the world and, and each other. Um, and then when you find that right relationship, it kind of clicks into that love feeling too. So then we translate or we transport ourselves into the love of nature or the relationship with nature, the communication with nature. And the beautiful photograph, Charlie, of yours of walking through pathways, being at the foot of the Buddha or the foot of Christ or being, looking at the way God speaks to us through nature. Now speak to me of nature and your poetry and how that relationship between us and it, is it an it, is very important. Um, We chose the the chapter title for our fourth chapter is Nature, Our Teacher. Um, and seeing that we're we're one with nature, my my grandparents on my mom's side had a lot of Native American friends, and so my mom grew up around that connection and and learned a lot from them. And then I have also, and we we get uh, Native American made pieces for the store and and spend time with the people that make them. So uh, I've grown up with that connection with the with the Native American culture, and seeing that like the way that everything in in the world is a circle and and we can be part of that circle and part of that the idea that everything around us is all my relations uh you're you're part of this great living piece of everything um it it brings us out of the like more the 2020 busy human mind and brings us into being a part of this nature that was here before us and and we're an integral part of all of this um so my my nature Poetry connects right in with my nature photography with that same kind of message. Um, our, our book is illustrated with my photography from uh, here in New England area of the United States and then in Iceland and in Japan. Um, and I have more places on my list to, to get to photograph someday. Um, but those places really connect with me with this kind of nature feeling, especially Iceland has this raw, untouched nature kind of energy. Um, so in, in our Nature, Our Teacher chapter, um, like the first two pictures that illustrate the chapter are both in Iceland, and one of them just has this single person walking along the rim of a volcanic crater, and half the picture is ground and half the picture is sky, and in the very center of the two is the person. And we think of ourselves as that, as this sort of oneness between heaven and earth and, and the connection that we have. Um, we write our poetry and I, I do my photography to help people to connect with that feeling of connection in a deeper sense. Um, and so we, we put together some nice poems there to, to help to bring people that feeling. It, you know, as I sit here, it, 
I wish I could read the whole book to everybody. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing <laughs> because book. every amazing page, book. it just touches my heart. It's yes. hard to sit here <laughs> and and not be reading another poem to all of you. Um, <laughs> it, it, because it's just amazing what's in this book is all I can say. And it's not about ego. It's just because every time I reread it, I'm reading it as if somebody else wrote it. You know, it's a book. Mm -hmm. I pick it up mm -hmm. and I start reading. And mm -hmm. then it's like, wow, that's wonderful. And it's in our everyday life. Here's one when I was flying cross-country, because I mentioned we were doing so many travels and lectures. I fly over the farmland. An abstract paint artist painted them. Beautiful lines, curves, greens, browns. The beauty of creation lies beneath me. The homes fit between the lines, lost in the beauty of the earth. I fly over the city. Straight lines, square boxes, lined up like soldiers. It hurts my eyes to see what we have done. Nature has no room. Please scatter the houses. Make room for the earth to blossom. Mm -hmm. And that was just entitled in cities. And, you know, why do I write it? Because I flew across the country. And then you, you just become aware of what you're seeing and what we as people are doing to the world. I think what, one of you wrote the poem, Grow to be like a tree, where the tree doesn't take up all the space. It doesn't try to make everything tree. <laughs> it just mm. keeps to itself and allows plenty of room for, for the light to be among, among all of us. Yeah. Well, folks, that, we are happy. Yeah. We had fun because Charlie wrote My Brother Trees, and I wrote a poem called Trees. Mm -hmm. And again, those are the things that got us connected. You know, that out of the same, uh, uh, you know, what we both observed becomes a poem for each of us. Mm -hmm. All right, we have just enough time for each of you to choose your favorite poem. Uh, that you wrote, not the other person, from this book. Yeah, that'll take me about a week to find that. While you're each looking for this, we are, uh, we are talking to uh, Bertie Siegel and Charlie Siegel about the book called When You Realize How Perfect Everything Is. And this is uh, accessible anywhere you'd be able to find a book. And, of course, I have that link right below in the description of this book. But when you realize how perfect everything is, you will tilt your head back and laugh at the sky. An anonymous quote that Charlie Siegel found is truly what you will experience when you read this book. That everything inside yourself has a place, has a purpose. Everything mm. around you as well. And it, it isn't all pretty. It isn't all wonderful. In fact, I would weep with many of you to hear your story and Weeks this morning, as I heard individuals who had died of COVID this morning. So I would weep with many of you. We need to share our weeping. But also in this book, you share a sense of life that invigorates you to seize the next day with as much fortitude and as much dedication to living life fully as you possibly can muster in this moment. Right. So I'd, I'd recommend, I'm going to hand this book to everybody I know and love. And I would Thank recommend you. that you all sit down and read this. Okay, it's time for your finale expression. Well, Sharon. I'm glad you just said that because I was going to read the one called Time. 
We're all here for a limited amount of time. That's what we need to understand and then choose how you feel. So time to do, time to be. It is the only thing. If we had time, we do, but we don't. It is, but we are not. When we are, there is time for everything. It is now. Do it in your lifetime. Charlie? I'm going to read mine called Truth, Love, and Light. It's the poem that starts off our book in our first chapter, the, the destiny chapter. What if everything is predetermined to be undetermined? What if the universe has a plan for you to be yourself? What would you do if you were handcrafted out of stardust to be the best person you could be? With the blessings of the universe who autographed its creation with the twinkles in your eyes, may you go forth and be someone you love? Oh, I can't even talk. I'm going to cry. (laughs) So everybody, thank you, Bernie. Thank you, Charlie. And may you all go forth and become someone you love. Let me say that crying is is healthy for you. It lets it all out. I mean that. And uh, don't store it all. Write poems and shed tears. Love you all. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Sure. And so with this cheer, I wish you all a wonderful day. Best to you. Thank you. Thank you.